On today's show, we're picking up what we left off last week with another awesome snippet from Russ Horrocks and yours truly on building a selling technician. In this snippet, we'll talk about professional responsibility, serving the customer, and curating the proper expectations. Take it away, Russ. people I find don't work at their craft. They just repeat it day after day. And I understand it's a grind. You know, I, I get the benefit of working on my craft every day because I teach it. So I get to study it. That is my job. I know that you have to live in it and it, it can be a grind. It can be exhausting. I know. I've been out there with you guys. Um, one of the things I love about what I currently do is while I do training and speaking, um, I have about 10 full-time clients. I get to run calls. I probably run 20 to 40 calls every month. Uh, with technicians and salespeople. So, you know, I've been in homes with you guys. I've had 12, 14 hour days with you guys um, running these calls. And um, I know it can be exhausting. I know it can be tiresome, but don't deny yourself the chance to grow. That personal growth is so rewarding. And it's so neat to see people change their lives, just drastically change their lives because they simply change their behavior. They decided that they were going to take this opportunity and make something special of it. And that, to me, is a really exciting thing to witness. And every one of you is capable of doing that. And one thing I want to kind of point back to talking about trying to be the best at whatever we're doing. And to me, I think perhaps the most important part of that is that we are forming habits. Every day we're forming habits. And if we don't have the position necessary that we want, and we're putting in a minimal effort, thinking that when our uh, condition changes, our position changes, we'll put in a better effort. You're fooling yourself. It doesn't work that way. You're building habits today that will carry you throughout your life. And those habits will be either failure-based or success-based. So you have to decide what are you doing for you, for the people that you love, and why are you doing it? So hopefully you can find motivation somewhere in there where you'll be wanting to put a little bit of time in every day to work at your craft. It could be five, it could be 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but just put a little time in every day and you're going to see some pretty exciting growth. But why is change so hard? I think, you know, to talk about change, the need for change, to talk about new concepts or idea, we need to put a little time into why change is so difficult. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Some of it is physiological. You know, our brain's primary function is to protect. And quite often when we try to make a change in something, uh, we're uncomfortable. And the brain looks at that as, as a you know, danger. The brain's like, whoa, we're, this is not comfortable. This doesn't feel good. And the brain tries to shut that behavior down to try to get you to go back to what you'd always done where you were comfortable. So in some ways, we have to kind of hack our brain, hack our physiology, hack our nature, and tell that brain just to quiet down. It's okay. And it's worth it. We're going to be uncomfortable. We're going we're gonna to work through this. So how can you intentionally overcome the brain's desire to have you avoid the pain of change? Well, there's some good books out there to help you do that. Uh, Weldon's written a lot of books and, and has a lot to say on this topic. Um, there's a great book by Carol DeWitt called The Mindset. Uh, there's a lot of great research done on how humans make changes. Um, and the big part of it's focused on our internal thoughts. Um, you're, you know, the strongest voice in anyone's life is their inner voice. It speaks to us 24 hours a day and it is the most important voice in our life. And we have to learn that we have to have thought discipline. We have to learn this thought consequence. You know, uh, I hear people all the time say, you know, I, I can see someone's having a bad day and I'll say, hey, what's going on today? And they're like, nothing. I'm like, well, clearly something's going on. I'd love to talk to you about it. And they're like, no, it's no big deal. 
And, and their attitude is I'm not hurting anybody because I'm not talking negatively to my teammates, but they're hurting the most important person in their life, and that's themselves. And they're entertaining these thoughts, and they don't realize how severe the consequences are. It's not easy. It's e anyone can be negative. Every one of us can do that at the drop of a hat. It's really super easy to be negative. It takes someone special to not be negative, to find in the most difficult circumstances how to be positive and how to find a way to navigate those difficult times to get through that as painless, you know, to minimize the pain as much as possible and maximize the lessons learned and to move on. So I bring this up because we all have to learn thought discipline throughout our lives. I think about the way I thought as a, a young 20-something, as a mid-20s, as a young 30s, and my 40s, and now, now in my 50s. Um, it's completely different how I've, how I've thought over the, over the course of the last few decades. And I, I wish right now I could take my thought process and go back and give it to my 22-year-old. That would be an amazing thing and how much further along I could have been. But we all have to learn thought discipline. There's just no way around it. And we also have to understand how severe thought consequences can be. So there's a powerful way to look at how we change. Many psychologists have talked about this forever. Um, Michelle May, I, I, I like the way she simplifies it. She calls it TFAR. Um, I mentioned Carol DeWick. She write, writes a really good book called The Mindset. It's a great way to talk about how we have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. But uh, Dr. May, she talks about simple relationship, and, and, and Weldon's brought it up uh, uh, earlier today, just the relationship of thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. Um, anytime I've ever tried to change the actions without the thoughts that produce them, I wasn't successful or wasn't sustainable. Um, those same thoughts would creep back in, the same feelings would creep back in, the same behavior would creep back in, and I got the exact same results I got before. So if you really want to try to hack your brain's laziness and its desire to protect you and keep you comfortable, you've got to attack the thoughts that produce it. You've got to go to the thought process that puts you where you were. I told you earlier I used to hate landlord leads because my thought process was you couldn't be successful or it wasn't worth my time. And nothing ever changed until I changed that thought process. And one day I thought to myself, you know what? These are leads I'm going to get. I'm never going to stop getting them. I might as well be the best I can be at them. Let's find the good in these leads. Let's how, how can I change my response to these leads? And how can I get better results more often? And then things started to really happen for me. I didn't look at it as a negative call. I, didn't, I wasn't discouraged when I got a landlord lead. And I started to develop an entirely different way of running uh, landlord leads that started to work and produce some very consistent and some very good results. But it all started with the thoughts. There's no way to get around this. There's no way to, to, to bury those thoughts. They're going to creep up. Their ugly head's going to come back. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull us back down. So um, it's not easy. If it'd be easy, you know, everyone would be doing it. But it is so necessary. Um, I, I, I would like to hear Weldon's thought on this. If you look at people that have accomplished great things, amazing things throughout the history of humankind, currently and past, um, how, how significant would you say this is probably to their success? Well, I think this is the foundational neurological principle that drives the condition of our lives. Uh, ironically, in uh, The Power of Consistency, a book that I wrote a number of years ago, deals with this topic specifically. And when you look at this model here that Russ has up on the, on the screen, you know, when you have a thought, any thought, it triggers a chemical reaction in your brain called in the hypothalamus that triggers chemicals that trigger the emotion, the feeling. So your feelings are a chemical reaction of your thoughts, right? You don't choose your feelings. 
right? You choose your thoughts, but those thoughts, so if I get really happy, for example, or really excited, my brain's going to start producing dopamine and endorphins. I'm going to feel happy. If I get angry, if I get scared, my brain's going to start producing epinephrine and adrenaline. I'm going to feel angry and scared. So your emotions are a reflection of your thoughts, right? And those emotions, those feelings obviously drive your behaviors, uh, which drive your results. So the foundation of all of it are the thoughts. Neuroscientists estimate that we have 30,000, I've read, individual thoughts per day, decisions, small decisions, right? Those thoughts are driving emotions, driving actions, and driving behaviors. But human beings, we, you know, uh, out of sight, out of mind. We understand the results and the actions because we can see those. The thoughts and the emotions are invisible, right? So we don't pay as much attention to them. So as humans, we do this backwards. We say, okay, I want a new result. I want a new sales result. Okay, what have I got to do? Well, I got to start running my leads better. I got to start building relationships and doing all the stuff that Russ taught me to do. And then you stop. And you're trying to drive new actions and new results out of a mind full of old thoughts and old emotions. Well, eventually those old thoughts and emotions are going to rule the day, right? Fundamentally, we're going to fall back on those. So if what I tell people, if you want temporary change in your life, focus on your actions. If you want permanent change, you got to focus on your thoughts. And that's the point that Russ is making here. And I just believe it's the foundation. You know, I, I, I recognized this pattern I was in 25 years ago, sitting in a prison cell in federal prison uh, when my dad died. And I, I was 32 years old. I hit this wall. My life was a complete wreck. And I was in the penitentiary. I'd already done them six years. I had seven years left to go. And I devoted my life to studying this mindset issue. And it changed everything in my life. I tell people, I changed one thing. I changed how I thought. As it turns out, that was the one thing that changed everything, right? And I walked out of prison seven years later, and I kind of mentioned the story. I got a job in the HVAC industry, started building my own companies, writing books, et cetera. It all changed. I didn't get any smarter. I didn't get any luckier. I damn sure didn't get any younger or better looking. The only thing I did was change how I think, and that changed everything in my life. And here we are all these years later. It's hard for people even to recognize, you know, that that, that was my life, you know, 13 years in prison, homelessness being broke, being a knucklehead, and my life today. And it's all because I changed those fundamental thoughts. Last thing I'll say about this, Russ, is that it's really important that we all understand that our actions and our feelings are based on those thoughts. If you understand how this neurological wheel works, the actions and the feelings are based on the thoughts, even if the thought is wrong. Now, you can believe something completely false. It will drive very real emotions and feelings, very real actions, and very real results. So this is why we have to make sure our thoughts are accurate. You know, you mentioned earlier, Russ, that when you change your thoughts about dealing with realtors and property managers, right? Well, the old thoughts that these leads suck, you know, I don't want to run these. Well, what emotions came from that thought, right? Really depressing, you know, not very productive emotions. What actions came into play when he was dealing with a land, uh, a real estate agent? What kind of effort or lack of effort? <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? And then yeah. the, results were, the results were a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when he shifted his thought, like, hey, these are opportunities. I'm going to learn to be uh, the best I can be with these types. That changed new emotions. That drove new behaviors. That produced very positive results. Reinforced the new thoughts. We're all, po well, listen, we're all self-fulfilling prophecies, for better or for worse in life. Yeah, yeah I love it. Thank you. Well, I, I think we bring this up because you're, you're here spending time with us. And our hope is that you're here because you've identified that you want to be better at what you do. Whether you're the top already, you still have growth. Whether you're just... In new to the industry and learning this for the first time, you have growth. Whether you're somewhere in between, you have growth. And when you're done with us today and tomorrow, what are you going to do? What's going to happen next? And hopefully some of these 
ideas. We'll give you some um, ways that you can go back and implement in a way that's going to be meaningful and sustainable for your, your future self, your new version of you. So, um, so what is our professional responsibility? First and foremost, it's to serve the customer. I know that often we have the pressures from a company influence us. As a salesperson, guess what we can hear before we leave the shop? We got crews to fill tomorrow. <laughs> you know, if you're in a smaller company, it could be we have cash flow issues, we have payroll to make. You know, there's so many pressures that can be put on us to try to go get a result. And early in my career, I would feel those pressures. I would go in, I'd do the best I could, but the customer would feel those pressures too. And I found that while I had success, it was limited because of that. And I had to learn how to take those very real pressures, compartmentalize them because I couldn't let them get in the way of what I wanted to do with the customer, and that's to get the best outcome. And when I started to learn the thought discipline of that process, I could go into a home and, and never minimize or reduce my chances for success. And I found I had so much more. So these are really important concepts that I find all top producers share. They all do it. They all found their way to these concepts or they were taught their way to these concepts because they simply work. So first and foremost, you have to enter that home and have the mindset that I'm here to serve the customer. If you have any other thought when you knock on that door, it will betray you. It will get in the way because that thought will manifest in how you feel and how you behave and the customer will see it. Remember, customers are experts at reading people. You know, we say salespeople read people for a living, technicians, you read people for a living, but so does your customer. They know when you're there for your reasons. They know when you're trying to sell them something. They know when your agenda is not really necessary in their best interest. So when you knock on that door, the training's happened. Yes, we care about the outcome, but I knock on the door, I have to tell myself I'm here to serve. I have my process, I'm gonna execute the best of my ability, I'm gonna go through, do what I do, and make sure I'm here to serve that customer. Not do something to them, but do something for them. So what does it mean to serve? Well, they expect you to be able to diagnose, but they do not expect you to be able to convey your findings in an impactful way. I find this is one of the biggest, probably, um, deficiencies in technicians' ability. They diagnose, they observe really well, but then report back, they do it very poorly. And it doesn't have the impact they wanted. The information doesn't have the strength that they thought it would or should. I've seen homeowners say to me, your tech shut off my furnace because I have a cracked heat exchanger. I turned it back on, almost like they showed us. And that to me means there was a massive failure in what the tech found and how the customer actually felt. And that customer was sticking it to us because he turned back on his cracked heat exchanger. I mean, that happens. I've seen that happen many, many times. So for me, that's where the biggest deficiency lies for technicians. It's often, it's the diagnostic, the observations, and the conversation that it creates, or the lack of a good conversation. So the information loses so much of its power because it wasn't delivered in a good way or in a good environment. So a way to look at it is information can do one of two things to your homeowners. So when you observe things, when you measure things, when you calculate things, when you come back to report to customers, that information will either apply pressure to them because how you did it, or it will impact them and compel them because of how you did it. And those are two, those will produce two completely different outcomes. And I get to see this every day I ride with technicians and salespeople. They have good information that um, wildly falls on deaf ears. 
because they didn't take the time to build the environment. They didn't take the time to make the connection. They didn't take the time to prove intent and align with the customer. They didn't take the time to build trust. And so by the time they come back to report what they found, the customer has no reason to trust them. In fact, every reason maybe not to trust them. So we want to make sure that we don't just think information is powerful enough by itself. It's got to be given in a way that it can have the, the, the pure impact. So a couple of things I want to mention and kind of give you an example of this is a, a very powerful way to make information impactful is to use a concept called pessimistic assumption. This comes from the world of social scientists where they understand that a pessimistic assumption is a very powerful way to, to deliver information. And I want to tell you what it does, and I'll give you an example of it. So it validates the customer's skepticism. It also strengthens their trust in you. It also allows them to believe even more so on additional information that you provide. So I want to kind of show you this concept and then show you the use of it and kind of an example of it. So in the last few weeks, I've probably had a chance to talk about duck cleaning and, and probably five or six different calls. And every single call, they invested in the duck cleaning. But I want to show you how I did it. I used this simple concept. I used the fact that they trusted me. I took the time to build an alignment with them and prove intent. And then I took this pessimistic assumption approach, and I'll show you what it allowed me to do, okay? So the example I'll give you is, so I had a customer say to me, they just moved from Mesquite, Nevada to Richmond, Virginia. And they said that they, um, the home, as far as they know, never had the ducks cling. They, they said it's been, it was built 27 years ago. They had dogs. They didn't know if the previous owner had pets. And they said, we generally like to just feel like we're breathing better air. And what would most salespeople probably do with that, Weldon? Say, well, we sell air cleaners. Yeah, they would have just jumped in and started selling products and services. And I said to them, you know what? You're going to have to be really careful. And they looked at me, caught their attention. I said, this is a part of our industry that is not regulated. There's no ethics committee. There's no one that's following up. Um, there's the NACA, the National Duct Cleaning Association that does publish standards, but they're very widely unadopted because people can take advantage of homeowners. I said, a good duct cleaning is going to have a crew that comes in with the right equipment. They're going to come in with the right people. It's very labor intensive. They're going to make sure that you know, it's going to be a six to eight hour job. You're going to spend no less than maybe $800 to $1,200 if they're doing it right. And it doesn't matter who you call, that's what you're going to find. Now, if you find anything different than that, don't even do it. Do not bother with it. Do not waste your time. Anything less than that will actually cause more problems and more harm than good. So you've got to be super careful. So you see how the pessimistic assumption came in? It was a, a cautionary tale. It was a warning. And it was feeding into what most people think anyway. Most people, when they see the $89 duck cleaning in the paper ad, what do they think? They're thinking it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. It's a scam. So a pessimistic assumption lets me validate their skepticism. That, that level of transparency and honesty gets their attention, makes them go, wow, we have a real credible source here. Right. Well, it, it, it's kind of that takeaway too, because they're thinking, you know, uh, when they when they communicate to you that they're interested in duck cleaning, and you do duck cleaning, they expect you to be like white on rice, like bam, we do duck cleaning, you know. But instead, you're like that that uh, that takeaway, and that you know, kind of kind of uh, recognizing their skepticism. It's almost like. Now I got to lean in like, what? You're taking it away. Like mm -hmm. I'm really leaning in. You're like psychologically, emotionally, like I'm leaning in and, and, uh, and, and paying more attention. That's, that's powerful stuff. And I didn't even say we did duck cleaning. I started with, you got to be careful. Right. And, and, and these are true stories. I want to say this. I had a customer the other day that responded to an $89 duck cleaning. Guess what their final bill was? Uh, $1,200. <laughs> it's $1,500. $1, 
And I said to the, the customer, holy cow, yeah, I've seen those. <laughs> so if I don't let that gone hidden, what would happen at the end when yeah. I gave a price of $1,000? Well, I can see in the paper, it's 89 bucks. Yeah. I uncovered that knowledge and I'm able to address it without any pressure. You know, one of the things I enjoy about doing these classes with you is I learned so much. I've, uh, I've done your halo effect. I've used that uh, to the hilt with my guys. Nice. Uh, but this is really, really very powerful. And it reminds me of something I've always, I didn't understand it in this context. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know the technical name for it. But one of the things we see, you probably do too every summer in the neighborhoods, is the yard signs that say, you know, complete air conditioning system, twenty nine ninety five or whatever whatever the price is. And I never thought about it, but the homeowner's thinking, thinking they saw the sign too, so they're thinking too good to be true. Everybody else is 6,000 or whatever. And I've always had a habit, when I'm in a neighborhood and I see those signs when I drive in the neighborhood, I deal with it head on. And I'll say, you know, it's funny, I was coming to your neighborhood and I saw these air conditioning signs for $29.95, like, I don't know how they even do that. I mean, you know, like quality equipment and materials. Yeah, and, 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 and you're, 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 uh, you're, you're feeding into their skepticism. Yes. Because, but it's it's funny, if they brought that up and you started trying to defend it, they might they might try to defend it. Exactly. Like, no, that guy probably does a good job. But if you kind of, uh, you know, it's I, that's I, called the backfire effect. Yeah. Okay. So in psychology, when when I when you give me a point and I try to counterpoint it, we both dig in to be right. It's called the right. backfire effect. Right. And so I never want to do that. So mm -hmm. we want to validate, then we educate first. You know, I've, I've, again, I had a very unique 25 years of my life coming up. A lot of time in the criminal court system on the wrong side of the, the aisle as you as, as You're right, they're just watching. Right. <laughs> but one of the things you've noticed if you watch the crime drama shows and such as that. So like the prosecutor may have an informant that's in jail with the suspect. And the informant, you know, goes to the prosecutor and says, hey, I'll rat this guy out. He confessed to me. Well, when the prosecutor brings in the rat, they don't conceal his criminal record because they know the defense will go after that and completely demolish the guy. Yeah. So what does the prosecutor do? They bring out, like, well, you were kind of in jail yourself, weren't you? Oh, yeah, but you reformed your life. And so they, they allow mm -hmm. them to build their own Those story. Character. And it's kind of that same concept mm -hmm. that if, if you say it and I disagree, like you said, they're going to dig in. Yep. But if, if, if you say it and I kind of like do the takeaway then all of a sudden you're kind of coming along with me. I, I can't put my finger on what I'm thinking, but I'm just saying yeah. this is powerful stuff. I've always referred to it as a takeaway, but I took some pictures, by the way, of the screen okay. when you were talking <laughs> earlier because I want to be able to yeah. use the right terms when I, when I share this with my guys. You know, and it's really funny, Weldon, because when you work with human nature, it's completely predictable. Mm -hmm. I know 100% how that customer felt in that moment. Yeah. There's no other way they could have felt but safe comfortable, well-informed, and we have someone we can trust in front of us. Yeah. So after I kind of disparaged the industry and made them nervous about it, which they should be, I said, look, that guy that spent $1,500 when he got there, they set everything up. They said, oh, the $89 is for the first three supplies. Would you like us to clean them all? Right. Oh, that didn't include the return. That should be important. That didn't include the blower. That didn't include the, the coil. By the time they were done, it was a big you know, bait and switch. Yeah. And so that got the customer nervous and scared, but validated their initial skepticism. And you know what they said to me? They said to me, said, well, what do you guys do? How much more powerful is it yeah. for me to answer that question than have to tell them what I do? Right. It's so much more impactful. I looked at it and said, you know what? Because of all those reasons, we chose to do it right. Our guys are NACCA certified. We use equipment that has a NACCA seal of quality and, and effectiveness. Our guys will be in there six to eight hours. They're going to make sure they're, you know, I went through the whole process of great detail. They're going to remove this. They're going to seal this off. They're going to make sure we get no blowback. They're going to make sure this. I went through everything. I said, that's what it means to do it right. 
But I already priced commission before, didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. I tell them you're going to spend $800, $1,200 minimum to do it right. And they go, well, how much did you guys charge? I said, well, let's go through and get a final assessment of everything. And we'll give you a price. When we came out with $1,100, they're like, done. I've sold every duck clinging in the last couple months using this pessimistic assumption technique. Mm -hmm. It's super powerful. And that's why when you work with human nature, it becomes really fun because I know what they're going to do. When I make a recommendation, I have no idea how they're going to receive it. It's hit or miss. It's a total crapshoot. They may love it and they may hate it. I don't like those odds. I'm too competitive. I want to win. I want to use a behavior technique that's going to give me a real, really, really strong idea of what they're going to feel and think in their response. So I bring that up because I think it's pretty important to understand how to deliver information with impact, not with pressure. Because when someone feels pressure, all they have to do is withdraw, pull away the emotion, and the game's over. Awesome stuff there from Russ as always. Now listen, if you like this episode, share it on your Facebook post. And if you wanna unlock more premium training content to take your company to the next level, click the link in the Facebook post for a 30-day free trial. Well, that's it for this week, folks. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.